Hey guys, Matt here. Have I got an announcement for you. Thanks to our friends at Ridgeline, we have an awesome prize giveaway. For everyone that purchases something online from Ridgeline and uses the code ENDLESS15, you will automatically go into the draw to win almost $1,000 worth of Ridgeline accessories. And that includes a set of binoculars and the bino harness, a trail camera, tripod shooting stick, and the field processing kit. You can enter as many times as you like by simply making a purchase and using the code ENDLESS15. This is open to all purchases up until the 30th of June. So check it out and good luck. You're listening to the Endless Pursuit Podcast, where we talk about all things hunting and the great outdoors. Let's get into it. No, I prefer it's go time. This episode is brought to you by Zeiss. Hunters need good glass, and with a Zeiss SFL or Smart Focus Lightweight Binoculars, you'll be on the hill longer and seeing further. The lens diameter has been reduced by 2 mil making it possible to decrease their overall weight by up to 20% compared to the Zeiss Victory SF models. Not only that, the SFL binoculars are up to 30% lighter than comparable products from competitors. Find your local Zeiss SFL stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. Big one tonight. It's something we've definitely been watching what's going on from over here on the eastern coast. And tonight we're joined by someone on the opposite side of the country who has, I guess, probably had a fantastic 24 hours with the resignation of a certain premier, and I'll let her talk about that, but we have Kate Fantanel, Lady Liberty, joining us tonight. How are you? Thanks for coming on. I can see how happy you are already. Well, I'm happy, but it's also bittersweet with the resignation of Premier Mark McGowan, or State Daddy, as he's known here, Uh because we don't get to take him to an election and vote him out. So the mood is a little bit bittersweet on the ground here for those who value liberty and freedom like I do. Uh, But it's been a big 24 hours. I'm glad to see him go in the sense that hopefully we can get back to actual two-way conversation because this government under McGowan has got a bad reputation for not consulting with people on the ground. And yes, I, I know that he got a really big majority and it's a, he's got control of both the lower and upper house here in Western Australia with just a handful of Liberal Party and Nationals um, left. But the two-way conversation has been missing. He's been treating us like peasants and it's time for proper conversation. Let's get back to the democratic principles of engaging with your constituents, especially about firearms, which I know you want to talk to me about as well. So. I will just put my hand up here and say I'm not a political person. I don't I don't vote. That's no secret. And what's your background behind that? So let's forget about McGowan. Let's talk about Kate for a minute. Okay. So I grew up in regional South Australia, about three hours north of Adelaide, and I spent my weekends on the farm with my dad out um, spotlighting, so on my grandma's property. And that's how I fell into the world of firearms. It's part of my culture and traditions and history. So I was taught firearms handling at a a young age. And I suppose seeing I'm old enough to remember 1996 and how they treated my father, having to hand back firearms when he hadn't done anything wrong. And I think from that age, it's really sparked the sense of righteousness in me to see how 
he was treated and obviously hundreds of thousands of other Australians who had done nothing wrong. So that memory has stayed with me my entire life uh, into my 30s now. And I suppose I've always wanted to be a voice for those who have been treated disgracefully by governments and that's the spark. So it's really great to be on a hunting and shooting podcast because, you know, I know I don't look like, you know, maybe I'd be into this stuff, but this is my passion and this is what I stand for. So, yeah, and I've just, over the years, I've worked for Sporting Shooters Association of Australia in the national office in Adelaide and Canberra for five years. And then I fell into politics. I'm actually a journalist by background. When I met former Senator David Meinhelm lobbying him in Canberra for firearms reform, and we just hit it off like a house on fire, and I sort of fell into the role of his media advisor. I left SSAA then and worked for Meinhelm for a few years in Canberra and Sydney. Then he lost his seat at the New South Wales election in 2018. Got offered a job over in Perth on the other side of the country working for Aaron Stonehouse, who's the Liberal Democrat representative here. So my party, the Liberal Democrats or Libertarian Party, as they're now known, I'm not involved anymore. I'm just my own my own beast, I suppose. And yeah, I've just tried to stay engaged in the political process as much as possible because unfortunately, politics affects every aspect of life filling up the car, the price of petrol controlled by government decisions, um, the price of groceries, inflation controlled by government decisions. So I hate politics too. I never wanted to be a politician. I don't know if I'll run for office again. I ran for the Senate uh, at the last Fed election. But I just want to continue to be a voice and speak out against some of the things that I see because it's not right. I think that's a good one at the moment when we're talking, you know, what what's going on over there in WA because – I know some of our listeners have sort of been on it. Some are, are not so keen on politics, but I think WA is that light to watch at the moment, like what's going on with the caliber restrictions and all the things that are happening. I'm hoping a change in Premier might actually do something about that, but it does show me that nowhere is safe and that people sitting on their hands going, oh, I've got my guns, I'm cool, I get to, to hunt where I want, I'm fine – it doesn't mean that it can't be taken away as quickly as a political announcement like what happened in WA. And there's 90,000, I think was the number I was given, 90,000 firearms owners that are affected Mm. over there. That's not a small amount of people. And I actually feel really sorry for WA sort of people in the sense that they've lost a lot of money because some of their firearms, they've got to get rid of them, I believe, by the 1st of July. So it's this mad scramble of people, forget the sentimental value, the financial value as well. I know I was talking to someone, I think there was like a an eight grand discount just to move it because if they don't by the 1st of July, they're a criminal. That That's insane. Mm. What What is the feel over there at the moment? We're all walking around on edge. We don't know what announcement is going to come next and that's something I said at the start of the show, the two-way conversation, it's just not there. Uh, if you want to go back in time, I can tell you the whole picture if you like. It's It's quite a big story. But back in 2016, there was a review into the Firearms Act in Western Australia. So the Firearms Act in Western Australia is from the 70s. They've put piecemeal legislation in terms of regulations over the years, but they've never actually sat down and rewritten the Act. 2016, there was a proper review into the whole legislation done by an independent law reform commissioner and a, a experts in the field. And they put together 
report, uh, a big report saying these are the recommendations. It's a massive document. McGowan, at the time, who was in charge, he said, we're not going to move on it yet. We're going to wait until the next term of office. 2021 came, March 2021, the COVID election. Our border was closed. It was an election based on do you want to keep the border open or not? Resoundingly, we wanted to keep it closed because we still had our, at our lifestyle. We were looking over east at all your lockdowns and what was going on. And people genuinely thought at the time, okay, let's keep us locked off, not just from the rest of the world, but from the rest of Australia. For me personally, it was really hard because my family, South Australia, I couldn't go home for two and a half years, but that's beside the point. So then we have absolute power held by the Labor government with McGowan at the helm and Police Minister Paul Papalia in charge of the police department and firearms, which comes under police. March, 20, uh, March 2022, in the lead up to the federal election, front page of the West Australian newspaper was a map. That map, you could reverse engineer to see which houses had registered firearms. These were firearms held by law-abiding people who had gone through the process. You could reverse engineer the map to see where people lived. And the goal of these men to say, you guys are a public safety risk because you hold registered firearms, you have just given a shopping list to criminals of where to go and rob our houses. People were outraged. I was actually running for the Senate at the time. I know that federal and state, they, federal isn't responsible for firearms laws, but I thought this is wrong. This is wrong. If someone, if my house got broken into and I was robbed or attacked because this man had put my address on the front paper, that was the mood at the time. We were shocked that a government would treat us when we've gone through all the checks and balances like we were potential criminals in waiting. So this is setting the mood. So I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> Apologies for getting fired up. But this is, the, this is the, what we're dealing with in Western Australia at the moment. So that happened. I actually put myself on posters. My campaign posters was me shooting a 303 and my little 22 Browning Buckmart saying, give gun owners a fair go. That's all I was saying. I didn't say anything about, you know, gun rights or Second Amendment or anything like that. Give us a fair go. You know, the Australian spirit of a fair go. No, not, he's since blocked me on Facebook. I went to the front of his office and I was holding up the sign and they called the cops on me like I'm a threat. Uh, then we fast forward a, a bit more time and we start seeing, you know, everyone's getting a little bit nervous. What are they going to do next? Valentine's Day this year, ban on uh, high-powered, high-velocity ammunition. No consultation. We heard about it in the media on Valentine's Day. So I have since been contacted by people, veterans, who shoot long-range precision rifles using higher-caliber ammunition for long distances, as you need to. They use that to go out to the range to talk about their experiences. You know, it's sort of bonding. They don't want to go to the pub. They want to go to the range, shoot these things that they've saved up their lives for, and that's their sport because they're too old to go out and play golf. They just want to sit there, talk about their experience. That's their form of bonding. They have to hand back their firearms as part of this high-power ammunition ban. No consultation. Funnily enough, the veterans minister is the same person as the police minister, Paul Papalia. <laughs> so the, this is the attitude that we're getting from the current government. Since then, we've heard limits on how many firearms you can legally own. Ten if you're shooting in clubs, five if you're a hunter. 
Now, for me, that's outrageous because my father has quite a collection of firearms that he wants to leave to me in his will, including some from, you know, heirlooms. I'm half Italian, so I've got a few Berettas in there that he wants to give to me. I can only own up to 10. So why am I being restricted on how many legal items I can own when I've done nothing wrong? These are the conversations that we're having at the gun clubs. People are saying, is it going to be retrospective? We've already seen the first buyback since 1996 with the high power ammunition ban, as we were talking about just before we came on air. They're not even telling you the price until you take it in and there's no negotiation. So the value of the firearm, it's up to the police to determine. That's a, a huge infringement on property rights in my mind that you've got to play the market price. No, they're not even accepting that. Ammunition, you're getting no money for that. Any accessories that you can't use for other firearms, you're getting no money for that either. I'm recommending to people to sell it interstate because hopefully we'll get the gun laws changed and we'll get our guns back here. But in the meantime, now we're all thinking what's going to come next? That The limits on how many firearms you can own, it hasn't come in yet. That's just come out because of the consultation groups. But now we're all walking around thinking what's going to come next. And I know people today and yesterday were happy to see McGowan go because that outrageous 50 caliber stunt that they did at Pinjar Range when they went to announce this, these bans. So they're getting up there to say, you're not, the citizens are not allowed to own or shoot these firearms, but we, the political elite, can. Again, just to show the attitude this government has towards shooters here in this state. Now we're all thinking, okay, he's gone, but Police Minister Paul Papley is still there. I don't believe that this government is going to be like genuine with their con- consultation, so I'll keep making noises and there's a lot of angry people and we're all walking around very anxious because we're not the criminals. That's the other thing. We're, we've done nothing wrong. This is our sport. This is our tradition. This is our culture. To me, they are trying to take away something that is part of my culture. Hi. Two stories that I want to pull from what you just said. It was, a, it was one shot show, and I, and I might have told this on air and I can't remember, but there was one shot show over here. I mean, you've only had one over there, but uh, we were lucky enough to get them pretty regularly. And Channel 7 were poking around, and they were looking for a good news Channel 7 story, anti-firearm. And the lady was going around with a microphone and introduced herself to myself. I was working behind the counter for Eagle Eye at the time. And she said, uh, excuse me, sir, how many firearms do you own? And I think I had nine at the time. I said nine. And she just clicked her fingers and then motioned for the cameras to come over and then started the interview again. Didn't give me any background and just said the same thing. And I said, oh, nine. And she said, why do you need nine firearms, sir? And I just looked at the cameraman and I said, do you play golf? And he said, yes. I said, do you play with a putter or have you got a driver? Have you got a wedge? Have you got anyway? That she just went, no story yeah. here, and then they walked away. So, like to to limit the five. I mean, I have more than nine now. Let's just say that, but mm. I don't want to tell your government because they'll be on my doorstep. But it, I just, I, I wasn't around for the '96 thing. I was, you know, I came around to shooting. I'm 34 now. I came around to shooting when I was 20 or 19 or so. So I did miss out on that and we didn't grow up with the heritage that you did. Matt and I both, you know, later in life shooters, uh, especially me, I didn't have any parents that were into it. So I don't have that pass me down. However, the guy that did get me into shooting has firearms that he wants to pass on to me. Now that's going to bump me up to, you know, near 20 guns and uh, I'd be devastated. I don't know what I'd choose if I had to get rid of some. 
And I also, I don't think I need to. So I agree with you on that point. The second story is I recently, as recently saying, like three years ago, purchased a 28 Nosler, which falls into your long range category. And earlier this year in January, I was supposed to come over to Perth for a camel shoot and I was going to bring that just to do some long range stuff. And then this happened in on the you know loveliest day of the year, Valentine's Day or whatnot. So that was a, a bit of a kick in the teeth. I sort of, I missed the trip. It just didn't quite work out logistically. And then now I can't take it there. So, but on the flip side, now I'm seeing I didn't think about that. If anyone in Perth wants to sell some 28 Nosler ammunition, please send it my way. Mm. I'll look after it until you can get it back. <laughs> we might get some cheap sales. This is the thing. So what this government is essentially saying is Western Australian shooters are not as trustworthy as over east people. That's what they're saying to me. How come you can own that firearm over east? Are you less of a, a security risk than I am? Like it just doesn't make sense. And with a name like Dodge, I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Was there? Uh, so I know some brief background on the reason why the caliber ban came in. Can can you clarify or confirm or deny the, the issues with the range? This is the excuse that they gave us that some of these firearms, the firearms on the list, could be used to snipe at police. There has been no incidents of anyone in Australia sniping at police, let alone in Western Australia. This is the offensive way that they are treating us, as if we're going to go out there and snipe at authorities at any given moment. They're also trying to bring in mandatory mental health checks every year. The mental, I don't know about your state, but in our state, the health system is shot. You can barely get an appointment. The wait time for, to see a specialist in mental health is long enough. Who's going to pay for it as well? Is Medicare going to pay for it? So you're passing the cost on to the federal government. That's another conversation entirely. The doctors don't even want it because everyone knows your mental health changes. There have been times when I, you know, I wanted to be by myself, especially isolated during the border closure when I couldn't see my family, that took a toll on my mental health personally. But taking away my guns and my sport, that's punishing me for putting my hand up for help. So it's going to deter people from getting help. And are you going to, who's going to be responsible if, okay, we'll give you a license and the very next day they go out and do something criminal? Is the doctor going to be held responsible? So the conversation, they don't want to hear these kind of rational conversations let alone the emotional ones they only want the emotional ones when there's a kid that takes a gun to school as happened last week it's all happening over here i could talk to you for hours so thank you for having me on the show you're gonna to have to reel me in <laughs> or i'll be here all night <laughs> look one of the big ones for me do you think this is coming at a time when they're really starting to push the national firearms sort of registry and is this a way sort mm. of wa is trying to i guess fly the flag and be the the pinnacle of what gun laws should be before the firearms registry comes in because then that might almost influence other states or impact WA as well. Is there any sort of correlation between that in your opinion? Well, firstly, I'd like to point out that the National Firearms Agreement or the NFA, it's not legally binding on the states. The states hold the residual powers in the constitution for firearms legislation. We did not hand them over to the Commonwealth at 1996. Basically, the NFA is a piece of paper that we all say, okay, yep, sounds sounds all right. We'll, we can still go off and do what we want, but that's a great in-principle agreement. We'll come back to it when we need to, acknowledging that 
jurisdictions have different issues and different uh, circumstances. So the registry, National Firearms Registry, that's been talked about for years now. Even when I was back working for SSAA in the national office, it came up time and time again. The problem is that there are privacy laws which are preventing states from all sharing information because we actually do have privacy laws in this country. The only state that does not have privacy laws is guess WA. <laughs> uh, that's how we got around the doxing incident with the front page paper with the map. Tudor's Union have tried to take them to court for this because it is a massive breach of privacy, public safety at risk, etc., etc. There's no privacy laws. They do their research. The Labor government, very smart. They're not going to. That's why the McGowan announcement stepping down at this time, it's planned. You know, we're all celebrating to some extent, but it's all Labor. As The whole state is Labor. The whole country is Labor apart from Tassie at the moment. So they're very efficient at campaigning and winning elections. I'll give that to them. Um, in terms of National Firearms Registry, I actually put together a submission and I put in a submission. It's on the, their um, website now. It's on my website too. And I I basically call it as it is. It's not going to prevent gun crime. Knowing how many firearms I have is, in my opinion, too much information. All the authorities need to know if they're coming to my house or if they're approaching me in my car, is she a licensed firearm owner or not? How many guns I own is actually irrelevant. The fact that I own guns is all they should need to know and then they can do their jobs. Why do they need to know exactly how many firearms someone has or what it is or the serial number? They're even talking about serial numbers on ammunition, which is being pu pushed by the uh, uh, world government. Um, so, yeah, the timing of it, uh, the shooting last week in the school, it's all happening here and, and there are lots of conspiracies floating around but I'm just trying to fight these crazy laws getting in because biggest buyback since 96 happening now in WA. Is there more details on your side? Like obviously we don't hear every detail on mm. this side of the country. On the, the school shooting situation, is there? So we'll walk it back a few steps. So this minor who was 15 years old, years old was living in a house with a registered firearm owner. We're not sure if it was a parent or not or step-parent. It's all a bit unclear. This person got at this child, got access to the safe, first law broken. And we all know, I don't even know where my the key to my dad's safe is still. Uh, and that's how it should be. That's how we were raised. You keep your firearms safe. So one rule broken. This minor then stole the keys to the car, another rule broken. Drove to school, 15 years old, obviously doesn't have a license, broke another law. Got out the car and fired one or two shots in the car park is how it's turned out. So this individual has already broken a number of laws. Getting access to firearms to begin with is a big issue, but we shouldn't all be punished for the actions of one potentially irresponsible or maybe something happened that day at home. We don't know. We can't speculate. All I can see, and I've got the newspaper here, is the front page, American-style shooting in Perth, the emotive language. This kid probably needed help. At not, no stage have I seen anything saying about the situation of, of what's happened in this home to lead him to that point. Um, so that was the last thing that we heard about the school school shooting as it's being referred to. It's such a, as you said, it is definitely all happening over there at the moment. Every time I turn on the news, and we don't, as, as Dodge mentioned, we don't get a heap over here. But... Look, for me, one thing is I sort of look at it and go, I was watching YouTube the other day and 
there was a cat documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. It's about the wild cat, feral cats, and I think Vice put it on. And nothing against the people that they obviously went after, but they weren't articulate. They weren't – I don't want to offend them, but it, they were deliberately chosen to paint shooters in a bad light. That was my, That's my opinion from what I was watching. So when I see someone like yourself, you're probably one of – you know, and this isn't being derogatory, it's you're probably one of maybe, you know, a handful of females that are representing firearms. It's good to see. And obviously you're very articulate with a journalism background and able to talk quite well. Do you find that is also a limiting factor because you are able to converse well that they don't want to have discussions with you because it's harder to paint you in a bad light than some other people out there in firearms and not just firearms. Let's be honest. It doesn't matter what, you know, hobby or or lifestyle or anything you do. There are people that are, I guess, that are more articulate than others and come across in a better way. Do you find you get Mm. not pigeonholed, but people are less likely to get you on because you're able to converse and not take a backward step? Well, during my Senate campaign, and hopefully my sound's better because I'm a journalist, but I forgot to plug my microphone in. I've had a really big day. It's been a big 24 hours. <laughs> during my Senate campaign, so I went to the front of Police Minister Paul Papalia's office with my sign, give gun owners a fair go, tried to give it to them. They called the police on me. I went and stuck a sign out the front of his office anyway. Uh, in the newspaper the next day, they painted me as the loony gun lobby and they called me a right wing extremist who wants to bring second amendment style laws to Australia. (laughs) So I actually contacted the journalist and I said, Hey, this is my number. Let's have a chat. He didn't try and contact me. My mobile number was on the website. My email address was there too. I didn't get a writer reply. And he said, thanks for your number. I'll call you when I need to. So I didn't even get, as a journalist, you're meant to get the other side of the story that has not, was not afforded to me. I don't think it's because of my gender or anything like that. Uh, in this town, the newspaper is owned by Seven West Media and uh, Kerry Stokes is the owner and he's best friends with Mark McGowan, actually. So you, the paper, we have one newspaper in this town. I call it Propaganda. They do whatever the government tells them to do. I'm not going to get a fair say regardless. So, yeah. It's, it's one of those things that I look at and go, I think... I was chatting to someone else about this the other day and a lot of people like I'm not fully into politics. I don't mind listening because mm. I know it will impact me in the future. So I do try and keep sort of abreast of what's going on. And I have so many mates that, especially in firearms, I think you're doing the whole community a bit of a disservice if you're not paying attention and you're not being vocal and in the numbers supporting it. And Dodge really had a, He's mentioned it before, and I think it's a really good one in the sense that if you're not lobbying your like, – what was the rice one, Dodge? We talked about duck hunting, and there was an issue with the rice and vegans boycotting. I can't remember exactly. Oh, yeah. So we yeah. so we were giving away a prize. Basically, if you donated to the duck hunting cause, then you went into the draw to win a hunt with myself or – uh, Troy from Honka Hunters, and which is still live, mind you, for anyone listening, and will end soon. But it got picked up by Laurie Levy, I think he is, uh, the Coalition Against Duck Shooting, and then ended up on a on a massive vegan page. 
so the vegan community then lobbied. They didn't realize that ducks were getting shot over rice. So they lobbied that there's a nationwide boycott on the rice situation, on eating rice. On Australian Sunraiser, I think, was the Australia's largest rice provider. So I don't know where you're going with that, Matt, but that's... No, that's a perfect example is when you look at the numbers, 90,000 over there in WA, um, I think there's a couple hundred thousand here in New South Wales. I'm sure if you looked at the numbers, I don't know the specifics, but across Australia, we're quite a large amount. And I would even go as far to say that we're probably larger than the vegan or animal rights sort of community in numbers. But I feel our downfall at times is that people don't want to step up. Too scared. And people, well, you're right. There's the part of the look at what's going on with you guys over there. Um, You know, this mental health thing, my God, you know, and, and I've said it before. I've had people come up and abuse me and things like that. And I'm just like, oh my God, you know, do I need to record this because I don't want someone making a claim about me being a firearms owner. And then I, I have to prove that I'm not guilty. And I know so many people that have spent a lot of time, money, court, or lost their license for unsubstantiated claims that they were doing the wrong thing. So I get that side of it, but then I also go, there's strength in numbers and if we're not willing to do that as well, we have an issue. And, you know, I love hunting and that's no surprise. I love shooting and I'd love to talk to you a bit more about your background in, in hunting and shooting and what you like to do in that. And I know our listeners want to hear that. But this is an important side topic that we need to, whilst, you know, I don't want to be 100% about this all the time, it is something that we need to talk about and it is something that we need to keep abreast of and we need to be able to say, hey, guys, we need to stick together and we need to band together, support each other because if it keeps going this way, this is the start. Like if this is, if this gets across in WA, what's going to stop a premier in any other state going, Hey, or territory, Hey, I'm going to do the same as WA, especially if this comes in and in the next election, labor get back in and they're going, Hey, it could be on the back of this gun, new gun law. Why are other premiers not taking notice and going, hey, I'm going to do that to New South Wales? And then Dodge loses his 28 Nosler. And, you know, I know Dodge. Mm. He's a good bloke. I have no qualms in him having a 28 Nosler. I don't think he's ever going to do anything wrong with it. I can't shoot it well enough to snipe anything. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the thing. And I think this is where, you know, sometimes it is a bit of a boring conversation or uh, something that people aren't into, but it's so important and we need Mm. to be talking about these things. So, yeah, what are your thoughts? Where do you see the future going? And then, yeah, let's get into to your background in sort of the shooting and hunting as well because I know our listeners will be dying to hear about that. Mm. Well, I approach it from a philo- philosophical point of view. So my, as I was talking about, my grandfather came over from Italy and escaped fascism and one of the first things that a totalitarian government does is disarm civilians. So read a history book, that's what they do. I don't want to see that happen in my country. My family came out here from war-torn countries for freedom. And for me, firearms are a symbol of freedom. I'm not saying that to be, I don't think everyone should own a gun. I believe in regulation around firearms. Should be an adult, mental health, proper fit and proper person test. Um, We're under 24-7. Our license is under 24-7 review. And this is what I say to people. If I get too many speeding fines, they can come and take my firearm. Currently in WA, if you leave uh, some ammo outside of the safe, you can lose your firearms, things like that. 
I see it as a freedom issue. I don't want to live in a country where only the government, security and police have guns. I just don't. I'm not saying I want a gun to be able to uprise as a militia because we don't have that history here like America does. But I'm saying it's about property rights. It's about individual freedom. And this is the kind of thing that people escape their countries for. So that's why I'm defending it because my family came here for freedom. And if you're taking away my right to own a firearm, then you're stripping away some of my freedoms. Your family probably came here at the right time when they did, obviously, to get away from what they were getting away from, but they also stepped right on the door of a rabbit plague, which I know, I've got mm. some Italian friends that's one of their main things. If I ever shoot one, which I don't eat, they always put their hand up and say, please drop it at my door. That was a, I should have done an Italian accent, but I can't. And uh, is that is that something – I sort of I've, – I've mentioned this before and I, I do miss – not miss because I didn't have it, but I – I'm, I don't know. I'm sort of envious of you guys that that grew up with a with a history and a culture in the firearms industry, or even just with firearms. It's not something like you know, like I said, I'm 34. It's been the back half, like this last third of my life, that I've been involved in it. And then you're mentioning, you know, historical firearms coming from your father, and they were probably may have been used by his father. It's you know that that's that's encouraging and and something I want to continue for my children. But can you talk to your grandfather? Was he around when you were young? Did you you know go in hunting adventures with him, or was that? Well, it was more. So my dad grew up in Adelaide, and he was always at shooting air rifle um, back before it was uh, heavily regulated. So he grew up with that, and then he moved to the country and met my mom at the school, and ended up staying in the country. And yeah, he, he got into hunting at my grandmother's farm. So rabbits, that's what I went, grew up spotlighting with my dad and uh, cooked a few, few rabbits in my time. And then my dad's also into game hunting. So deer as well and cooking up venison with my dad and just being able to put food on the table that we went out and hunted together and then share with the rest of the family. To me, that's better than going to Woolies because you know that you've sourced it ethically and it's free-range produce. Like what could be more healthier lifestyle than that? And that's why I get so like a little bit annoyed when we're so quiet about what we do because the animal activists uses emotions, you know, they're throwing blood on doors and they're putting ducks at the front of um, politicians' office. They're using emotion. We need to tell our story from emotion. We have a proud history of hunting in this country and in this state, in this state. So I do not want to see any of that taken away from future generations because it's our generation and our kids' generations that aren't going to be able to grow up with what we are so passionate about. And why should they be punished? Why? When, you know, look, deal with the criminal aspect. Absolutely. No one is sitting here saying we want everyone to have a gun. Someone's going to clip that and use that against me, but that's okay. <laughs> Context. We're just saying, can we please have a rational conversation and let's regulate this so we're both happy. The police can't even uh, interpret the legislation. They want changes too. We all want changes. Like I said, the act here is from the 70s, but they're not respecting our culture, our traditions and where we're coming. They're not even respecting our sport anymore. That's what it's come down to. They don't even see it as a legitimate sport. What about all the Olympic medals we've won? What about all the Commonwealth medals we won? What about all the Paralympians when that's the only sport that they can do? That's what you're taking away from us. So it's time to get emotional and I'll always stand up. And 
I appreciate you saying that, do I have challenges? I've been raised not to use my gender, my background, my looks, anything as some kind of victim culture. So, you know, if you want to have a go at me, you argue with me on fact, not fiction, and that's what we can debate about. None of this emotional crap. I mean, I was wearing a fur coat the other day and I posted a picture of it, but I wasn't out throwing blood around. It was just this is a fur coat. I'm recycling. I'm reusing the whole animal. That's what we're about. Here it is. I'm trying to be respectful. <laughs> On the emotion side of it, I just got back from an African trip and we sat around one night. There was three of us and we'll talk about it on a future episode but we got onto the emotional side of you know first memories in the shooting world and we were rattling off we were listening to uh, the guy that I was with telling his and it was it was a it was a great story and I let him retell it another day but then the question came across from the other side of the bar and was do you remember that in photos or in movies and what we were sort of getting or what he was getting at was that a lot of our younger memories, we just remember photos and it's not until we sort of develop mm. a little bit then we remember the movies and then we remember the emotion and then that's that's what sort of carries through with us. So I can I can sort of – I can feel that and I can hear that in your voice. Obviously, you know, very emotional about it and it's uh, it's definitely come through from generational. So we appreciate someone that can be articulate about their emotions and I agree that we need to push – our emotions and I, I wanted to not a little bit off topic but you mentioned the double SWA and things like that I I don't know I, we've spoken about it before we feel that there should be maybe one one joint body I don't think it'll ever happen but nationwide where everyone chips in and and it, you know it creates this fighting fund and that's obviously dangerous because you have people in power that want to use that for their their own agenda but we, we need to be doing the emotional propaganda that the other side are doing and we're not. All we're doing is relying on facts and statistics, which is fine. We know the numbers and we know that, you know, shooting and hunting is one of the safest sports you can do in this country. However, like in comparison to playing football and things like that on weekends and injuries levels, however, we're not, we're not, like that doesn't matter to the other side. We need to sort of come back to their level. And you mentioned the laying the ducks in front of parliament and things like that. I know who you're referring to that was doing that. And I've tried to reach out to her a few times and I'm just I'm not getting any response. But it's they play a very strong emotional game and mm. they're winning the crowd over. That's something, I've, that's something I've raised in Western Australia. So they have come under this Western Australian Firearms Community Alliance group. So all the most of the gun organisations over here got together in one room back on April the 1st, um, but there were some excluded. First bad move in my book, like let's all be united. You know, it's time, per- personality, ego, whatever it is, put it to the side, it's bigger than that, right? Okay, you're not going to do that, fine. The next thing I said to them is the time for consultation with the government is done. The time for these meetings is done. They're not listening to you. They'll sit there and nod and then they've gone and written the out. They're doing whatever they want. They've got absolute power, remember. They can push through any laws that they like. Sometimes I don't even debate them. Laws can be written and passed in one day in Western Australia at the moment with no opposition. It's terrifying. Uh, but that's what we've got. So I said, the time for consultation with government is done. Let's run a This Is Shooting campaign. You might remember that from probably about back in 2016. We took out billboards. We had, you know, 
the mum with the baby on their hip, you know, going to the range to relax, the wheelchair, person shooting in the wheelchair, the family going out hunting. Like this is our sport. This is our recreation. This is what we do on our weekends. We go camping. We share this together as a family. Let's get the community at least, at least understanding, not necessarily pro-gun, but at least that they're not going to vote on it because they're trying to whip up a storm, a storm of hysteria. They don't have COVID to take to the election as the thing for us to vote on. They're not going to scare us into voting for them. They're trying to use guns as the next reason to vote for them in March 2025. Now McGowan's gone. I still think they're going to keep pushing this anti-gun narrative. So it's time for the firearms groups on the ground in Western Australia with a big group like SSSAA because they are the largest, show some leadership, make a decision and say, donate money now, we'll use half of your membership fees, we'll take out billboards, we'll take out ads in that newspaper and we'll start educating the community about what we do because they don't understand. That's where I see their role. It's almost, you know, what Dodge, I agree with what Dodge is saying and we've talked about it, it's, it's like a council is needed where, you know, the head of every shooting organisation or pigging organisation has a seat at the table as a representative, but it's a council operation with someone that's not invested in any of them running the show, almost as the chairperson and whatnot. And then I also feel the opportunities are to, you know, I've spoken about this, Steve Rinella, you know, if you're watching what's going on in the States and the brilliant things that are happening on the back of what Meat Eater has done, we need that. He's got a Netflix show. You know, we need something like that here in Australia where someone is going, you know what, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to show this in a positive light, have it produced really well, make it, you know, for me, that's an investment from all our organizations should be looking at it going, we need to find the right person, don't know who it is, but find the right person or persons and make a documentary about it that is tasteful, that shows what we do in a positive light, which it is. And that's the thing. It needs to be that fact-finding thing because I've talked about it so often. My mates that are not shooting or hunting friends, they have zero idea of what we do. They are of the opinion that you literally walk out and it's like, you know, that little, you know, you go to the country fair and there's the the little ducks sliding across and you get to shoot them with the air rifle. That's what they feel it's like, that you walk out, there's a million, you know, targets and you just knock them off. And, you know, how is that sport? And it's... What you're describing there is private property, Matt. Well, maybe I don't have too much of that. (laughs) So I, I sit there and go, you know, this... To me, we need to have someone out there that is educating and that is showing it for what it is and showing the inclusivity. And you touched on that. And that's one of the big ones. And this is where I'm sort of taken aback a lot because in this current day and age, inclusivity is everything, making people all feel part of a, you know, that they've got a place and that they're important and valued. And then I look at what's going on with firearms owners and it's the opposite. It's getting segregated. It's not being trusted. It's not being all these different things. For someone with your background, and as you said, being in SSAA nationals and being sort of in the political sort of arena, are there any ideas that, you know, you could sort of say, hey, this is what I think would be a great idea because I don't have all the answers, but I have some opinions. And we love hearing about other people's and so do our listeners. 
you know, is there something there you go, hey, this could hit the money and this is what we probably really need to do to start making some headway? Well, I have actually pitched to the groups and the leaders in charge. Why don't we get out there and start telling the stories of how this ban is affecting everyday people, like the veteran story I talked about. Let's put that story out there. The mainstream media are not going to touch it, or if they do, they'll butcher it and turn it into a scary story. They'll dig up dirt on someone and then it'll be game over. Why don't we start telling the stories, put some money behind producing what you were saying, TV. I actually started that when I was there. If you go back and have a look, I looked a lot younger and less stressed then. But let's put that back on. Give me a camera, give me a mic, let's go. But it comes down to money and it comes down to priorities and maybe they have a bigger plan. I don't know. I'm not at the table with the leadership in Western Australia, uh, but they have my number and I'm constantly emailing them and saying, hey, what's going on? What can I do to help? The other suggestion that I, I have is, 50% of the electorate are women. And you pointed out before that I'm probably one of very few women involved in the sport. Let's have try shooting days for women. I know you do it in New South. Over here, I haven't seen it. And I've lived here three years now. I haven't seen one try shooting day targeted at women because it is intimidating going out to a range, even a gun shop for the first time let alone as a woman, because it is quite a bloke environment. I don't care about that. I grew up in the country. I had um, male mates. Like, I don't really care about gender. I have most of my friends are male. I just get along with dudes. That's who I am. But I would love to be the one at the front saying, come on, let's have a try shooting day for women. Because like you said, the people who have the biggest opinions have not even shot a gun. But every time you've taken someone to a range or shown them how to shoot, they love it. Or they don't love it, but they're not scared of it. So when they see things in the media, they're they're going, oh, but I had a good experience. So they're not going to buy into the fear. That's where we need to change the psyche. And at the moment, the relentless propaganda from governments, organised governments like Labor government here, we're losing the battle on the ground. So it needs to be grassroots campaign. The time for negotiation with the government is done. Let's talk to the community. And that's what I've been doing with my time. Something we've said it, Matt and I have both said it, we don't need more shooters, we need less anti-shooters. And, you know, we do it through food, sharing game meat and like what you're saying there. Funny story, I actually met my wife through that process that you're talking about. So I was stuck in Whistler in Canada on the back of a um, hunting trip and I was I knew her through a friend of a friend and I knew she was into firearms and I was trying to organize I even had sponsors lined up I was trying to organize an all-female shooting day at, at one of our local ranges and I reached out to her and she said yeah sweet great idea she already had a firearms license but she had friends that were you know like Matt said had no idea what she did had no idea how it worked. She came to me with a list of like 25 girls that she'd got on board. And then I like it, it just by the time I got home, it sort of fizzled out. One of the sponsors pulled out. Then the range were like, oh, you can't book privately. And it just got a little bit hard. And she was like, I went to so much effort to get these 25 names. The least you can do is buy me a drink when you get home. And then here we are n- nine years <laughs> later. And uh, I probably still haven't bought her that drink. But I, I think – <laughs> I think that's an important thing. I mean, Cad's probably you know well enough that she's on this side and she's doing the women's shooting days, try shooting stuff regularly. Uh, I'm not sure on her role in that, but she's definitely instrumental in sharing it. I'm not sure whether she's key in leading it, but 
I, yeah, I see that as a great thing, but it doesn't need to stop there. And I think it should be gender open. Like, let's just have these try shooting days, open shooting days. I know they're available, but they're not publicized. They're not, anyone can go to a range and try shooting, but no one's going to walk into a range. That's very intimidating. Like you said. So if we can, you know, make it a little bit easier access to the public, I think that's a great idea. And if we can target the mums and the kids, well, that's that's something special. We I run some education courses and some of our we say our target mar- our target market at the time were the Balmain mums. And th- these were women that were wanting this was during COVID, they were wanting to prove to their, let's say, husbands and partners and whatnot that, hey, just because the supermarkets are closed, we can still do this. And we had a great interest from that market. And, you know, we, we had some of them come out and do the education courses and it went really well. They they were mm. it's not something they'd ever been involved in, but they were super excited to try something new and prove that and we all know that women generally shoot better than men. That's no secret. So, you know, we learned a few things off them. But uh no, I I are you you say you want to do that. Is there no response from it or it's just not something you've got time to take on right now? Well, I've always said I'll do what I can for the cause, but I'm not sure if that's part of their plan. Like I said, I'm not in the inner circle here in the leadership of the shooting groups and that's fine. I'm a bit of an outsider in, in most ways. But if anyone's listening from WA that owns a range and wants me to come out and you know welcome the ladies, then sure, give me a call. My email is public. Let yeah, get in touch. The other thing that I would I would suggest to prevent situations like we've had with this school shooting is we need to educate children about basic firearms handling. And when I said this during my election campaign, it was painted as, oh, she wants um, kids to learn about shooting in schools, like guns in schools. No, I was taught basic firearms handling from a young age. So if I ever came across a firearm, I would know what to do to make sure it was safe to handle. And to me, that is a skill all of us, regardless what you think about guns, we should all know how to safely handle a firearm to prevent anything from happening to the rest of community. So my principle in life is do what you want as long as you're not hurting anybody else. And part of that is being personally responsible for your actions. Let's educate people about how to handle firearms so we know what to do. We don't need to be scared of them because they are inanimate objects until you know you you fire them so let's treat them like that they're not a risk just sitting there but you should know what to do if you ever come across one I'm a big believer in that too do you know of any private schools over your side that still have firearms as part of their schooling the scout group were had a whole course on it which was fantastic to see so but obviously it was only the kids who were involved in scouts who got their education so with our government there's uh, no hope, hope in hell of it having it in public schools at this rate um, but private schools I'm not too sure I'll have to check but I know scouts were still teaching basic firearms handling which is fantastic to see it is still a thing over here in some of our more elite private schools uh, there's one in Sydney that has its own range um, actually yeah I visited a gun shop when I was in Africa and it was incredible it was the nicest gun shop I've ever went to but even downstairs they had their own indoor range and we were in the middle of town so mm. I was pretty envious there was that I think he was in Perth, was he? The guy who built his own range underground, he had the, the couch that flipped up. Oh, the bunker, yes. Yeah, he got in a lot of trouble yeah. for that, even though he hadn't, hadn't broken any rules. I think there was one um, 
think he might have had unsecure ammunition was all they done him got him done for. But that's the thing. The police had approved him to own all of these firearms. It wasn't some secret bunker. They he told them his storage requirements and then it's on the front page of the newspaper. Yeah, it was a pretty cool setup. Yeah, I was jealous. He's my hero. <laughs> on the uh, firearm on the ammunition storage, I was talking about different states and different countries and their relaxed approach to it. I went through I got I went to New Zealand on a hunting trip and family trip turned into a hunting trip and then on the way back I got picked up at the airport and I had a, a live round of thirty oh six ammo in my bino harness and just fallen down into the webbing. And the lady at customs, no issue, she just it was in my carry on because I always carry my bonos with me and they're too expensive to check in. And she just flagged it and said, Oh, you've got a round in there. Like it was just like oh, you've got a banana in there. Like it was nothing. And then she just knew where it was and she pulled it out and she said, we'll just dispose of that. That's no worries. On your way. And I said to her, I said, it's pretty funny. And she said, oh, why? I said, one, how you're acting, so calm. Two, I didn't use that firearm here. So that has got through customs in Australia into New Zealand and then they only got me on the way out of New Zealand. But I just, I can imagine what would happen if it happened in Sydney and that got caught in my, I'd be, Risold. He would be labelled a domestic terrorist, probably. They would have shut down the airport. <laughs> it's and it was just unlucky. I, I don't know. It was several trips prior before I used the thirty oh six. So I'm not sure how it ended up in there. But the different states and countries definitely different the way they handle things. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. Everyone knows hunters need good glass, and with the Zeiss SFLs or Smart Focus Lightweight Binoculars. Your hunting time will be enhanced with this great bit of kit. Optimized to be as lightweight and compact as possible, the Zeiss SFL binoculars are a great addition to the SF family. The new ultra-high definition concept ensures true-to-life color reproduction and the highest level of detail. Thanks to its smart focus concept, the focus wheel is perfectly positioned, enabling fast and precise focusing, even with gloves on. Find your local Zeiss stockist at www.osaustralia.com.au. And we're back. It's interesting. You talked about the schools then. And for me, I understand maybe in the city that it's there's not the need to know firearm safety, but for country and rural schools, it should be paramount because if you're on a property or a farm, there is a very, very high chance that you're going to use that much like you'd use a tractor or much like you'd use a car. Like It's just, an, as you said, an, an object that it's a tool in that sort of perspective. So there is definitely things. And that's that sort of, I think that's one of the biggest issues we have is we've got such population groups in cities that aren't exposed to what rural life is like. And I know personally the people that I have grown up with from, you know, I live in Sydney and my schooling experience and my mates from schools and people I've grown up with, some of them have never camped. Some of them have never lived outside of a city or a unit. And for them, I can understand where they're going, no one needs a gun or no one needs it because they've never been to a farm. They don't know where their food comes from. And I had a bit of a giggle when the um, Dodge told me about the vegans sort of wanting to boycott rice because I was a little confused that they didn't realise that animals had to die to protect their crops. Otherwise, they probably should boycott every food they eat. And had a bit of a giggle about that, but they don't maybe look at that or they like to turn a blind eye. Where where do we go? How do we get people on board? And we spoke about females. 
is that a target and how do we do that? I've been in rugby league and, and the like, and I've seen a really great transition. Something I think they do really well is they transitioned women into playing rugby league. And now there's some really fantastic comps going around. It is pretty good. I know a lot of people might sit there and go, oh, it's not as good as the blokes. But you've also got to understand that there hasn't been the training, the money put into it as well. They've done bloody well for where they're actually at and the limited amount of time they've had to get up there. And we're seeing that there's the WNRL at the moment. How do we do something like that for shooting? Because, yeah, a try shooting for women's group's great. And I think what Khadija's doing is fantastic. But we need... We need to really – there needs to be something bigger. There, you know, rugby league's had the benefit of clubs and they've had blokes that, you know, are playing and then, then they've got partners who used to watch every weekend and go, oh, I want to have a go with that, and that's how they sort of transitioned. Is that one of the downsides with shooting and hunting is that it tends to be the bloke's weekend away and yeah. it tends to be I'm going to the range and, it's, as you said, it can be sort of a bit off-putting and things like that. How do we, how do we fix that? How do we – how, do, how can we get around it? Especially like, oh, I don't know, I'm not a female. So how do we go about going, hey, this is something that would make females comfortable, grow our sport, because I think that is something that's paramount here. And I know I slightly disagree with Dodge in the, in the fact that he's, we don't need more hunters, we just need people anti-hunting. That's just sort of that neutral gray area. I would like to see the tide shift that we have more people out there wanting to do it because then they're definitely on our side and they're not in a gray area that can sort of wishy-wash fly around. Oh, I saw that on the, uh, oh, Channel 7 said guns bad. And I thought they were okay. Maybe that, that was a real great persuasive piece. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to that side. What are your thoughts? I think it's time for people to recognize and realize that you need to get bigger people, bigger population on side. You need to accept that our freedoms are being gradually stripped away like they began in 1996 and now we're here in 2023 in Western Australia. First buyback since 1996. Like we need to recognise that there is a problem and our rights are being stripped away by government. There's no more burying your head in the sand. And you don't have to agree with other parts of my politics, but you should acknowledge that this is the reality that we're facing in Australia in 2023, because what's happening in Western Australia will come across the border. This is just the start. It's going to encroach on the rest of your freedoms as well. So now's the time for us all to go, okay, how do we stop this? And the way you do that, 50% of the electorate is women. So you need to accept that we it can't just be a boys club anymore. We have to get a little bit more professional about things. When I went to this meeting of all the all most of the gun clubs, I was one of four women in a room of 100 men. And one of the guest speakers got up, Professor Augusto Zimmerman, who actually was the commissioner in charge of the law reform report into the firearms act that I spoke about at the start of the show. The first thing he said was you only have four women in this room of the 100 blokes, that's your first issue. Uh, Now, as I said to you, I don't care about gender. I don't go in there as a quota. I go in there because I have the experience, the knowledge, the background, and I can talk. So I'm there for merit. I don't want to see quotas or anything like that. I just want to be able to give in a seat at the table and respected based on what I can bring to the table 
and let let's bring in others because it's not it's not just me. It's not just me who can get out there and do this and who's passionate about it. I just happen to be doing it for some reason. And that's fine. That's my uh, virtue in life. But I would love to go to a range one day and have, a, you know, 50% of it women. And it's not going to be done through quotas, but it's going to be done by the current, gener- the, the older generation and the old guard, I would call them, realising that the time for protecting your sport, you're not going to have, the next generation is not going to have a sport or recreation if we keep going at this current rate and you need to get the community on side and 50% of that is women. So let's have a have a cultural change. But it's first having that conversation and putting the idea in your head that, okay, we do have a problem. We need to we need to get together and solve it. I couldn't agree more. And it's probably one thing I've been a little vocal about in hunting in the sense that so many people are really reserved about helping others or sports or or whatever it might be. And that is something that I feel is of detriment to our sport because it's one thing getting people in, but if they're not enjoying it, why are they going to stay? And if you're a new hunter that comes in and you've been hunting for a couple of years and you haven't got the target species, it's really easy to pull the pin and go, hey, I'm not going to do this anymore. It's too hard because, you know, it, the, it, it's a long journey and not everyone will stick it out. Not everyone will do. Now, that's sort of a fear that I have because I've seen that side of it. And I'm very different to Dodge. Dodge has sort of grown up with having a lot of private land and being very successful in in harvesting animals. I haven't got a deer and I've been going for them for a couple of years now. Yes, COVID hit and all that crap, but at the end of the day, I still haven't got one. Now, I'm quite a driven person and I don't want to give up. So for me, it's not that big an issue. But I can definitely see, I know a lot of mates, I've got a mate that I got into to shooting and he came to the range twice and I tried to get him out on a hunt and he's not that interested because he's heard how hard it is and him and I and another mate got into it at the same time and at that stage none of us had access and no one had got anything and he went, well, why am I coming out? And he literally is now dropped by the wayside. He didn't even get out there because he's like, well, I've seen how much time and effort you guys are putting into it. I'm not as passionate or eager. I'm out. Now, that's an issue too um, in, in my perspective, looking at it going, hey, we need – it's like a perfect storm at the moment that there's so many things that are influencing our sport and we need to be looking at them and having that sort of step or 10-year plan saying, hey, here's an issue, here's an issue, here's an issue – Um, whether it be access, whether it be, you know, gender equality in the sense of numbers of participation, whether it be helping other hunters out. I'll I'll put my hand up. I've been to sort of involved in a couple of hunting clubs now. They're clicky. I've never Mm. felt really involved or accepted, I'll I'll be honest. And for me, that's one that I sit there and go, "Mm," you know, that's – whether it be – and I get it. People have friends and they have mates that are there already and that they just get on. But for someone that doesn't instantly have that interaction or whatever it is, you don't want to go back and you don't want to be a part of it and you feel ostracized. And for a lot of people, that might be the stepping stone to getting out. And I've heard that from other people where they've gone, I've gone to this hunting club and I didn't like it. And, and hey, they might go to the same hunting club that I'm a part of and they, they fit in really well. That, that's part of life. Everyone's different. But 
That is a concern. And I think we need to almost have, again, it sort of comes back to that governing body where everybody's on the same page. Everybody's working towards the end goal. And it's not this segregated little society that it's it's like at the moment. It is literally, I sometimes look at our industry and our hobby or lifestyle or sport, whatever you want to call it. And I really do feel that it's so segregated and it has all these little groups. It's, you know, I hate to use this and Dodge probably won't like it, but it's almost like religion that there's all these little sects of different religions that interpret the Bible or whatever you want to call it a different way. And so they're wrong because I worship this God or they're wrong because I worship this God or they didn't read it right. So they're wrong. And that's what I sort of look at it and feel, and that's not helping anyone. And I want to pass this down to my kids but I have grave concerns and I don't know, there's probably a lot of people out there that aren't even worried about this and I really feel they need to be because don't take this for granted because as you, as we're seeing in WA, it can go in a heartbeat. As you said, the buyback in 1996, there's so many things that we can look at going, hey, what's going on here? This isn't good and mm. we need to be more vocal and we need to be better than the opposition and the opposition is the Animal Justice Party. The opposition is the Greens in the sense that, you know, I, I like some of their policies and I don't agree with a lot of others. But when we're talking about hunting and things like that, they're, they're not where I am definitely at. And I, that's something we need to be mindful of and say, hey, they are all threats. And if you don't think they're a threat, we have an issue here. You can't be lackadaisical. You need to be vocal. You need to be supportive. Get off your backside here, guys. You know, we need everybody's support. We need people out there and being passionate, saying, hey, I do love this. Be open about it. Be honest, but be supportive too. Don't tear other people down. Let's promote it in the positive, beneficial things. How can we have veterans that fought for this country? And I'm, I'm ex-military. So how can people that signed up, possibly went overseas, you know, putting their life on the line, we're okay with that, but now they're back here. We're saying, oh, I don't know if I trust you to have a firearm. How the hell does that work? I've seen this kind of division in minor party politics. So I've had a, a career in politics, unfortunately. Um, but so centre-right parties, freedom parties, if you want to call them that, One Nation, Liberal Democrats, now the Libertarian Party, United Australia Party, uh, Australian Christian Party, the centre-right. This is why we are seeing Labor, the Greens and the Teals run this country because we have been woeful at working together and I'm seeing it in the shooting community too. Even though our values align on a lot of things in the freedom centre-right parties, but we're just useless at working together because something gets in the way and then we turn around and say, well, where are all our freedoms gone? Because while we're infighting and tearing each other down and having an issue with this person based on personality or this happened 10 years ago at the range, while we're all fighting among ourselves, the left are mobilising. I'm using the left, but Greens, Labor, they're not our friends. They are not ever going to be our friends and neither are the Liberal National Party. 1996, Liberal government, John Howard. That's why I've never joined the Liberal Party for that reason alone. So we're see, I'm seeing this in terms of minor parties and I'm also seeing it in the shooting communities and I'm tearing my hair out. And it comes down to what I think is leadership. We need people at the helm and at the table who are going to have that forward thinking, the 10-year plan. I'm already thinking about what happens when this country becomes a republic. 
and we're not part of the Commonwealth anymore and we have a constitution. Who's going to be writing the constitution? Lawyers. Are we talking to any lawyers at the moment about firearms laws? Are we, has, has the SSAA got a plan of what we want to see in the constitution in terms of firearm rights? Because I feel like it needs to be in the constitution. I'm not saying we need like a second amendment, but I'm saying there should be discussions and forward planning now so that we don't turn around and have even worse laws when we eventually do become a republic. So I'm, my brain is always thinking and I'm always trying to come up with solutions and I'll keep putting myself out there and saying what I think. Hopefully one day someone will pick up the idea and run with it uh, and I'm always here to talk and bounce ideas around and I will always do what I can. Like I said, I put myself on a campaign poster shooting a 303 and a 22 pistol. I don't think any other political candidate has done that. And I'm proud to stand up for my sport. I got 30,000 votes, by the way, out of 90,000 shooters, but I only ran like a two and a half week campaign. But, you know, I did what I could at the time and I'm still doing what I can now. So, but we need to be planning for the future. I don't, uh, I don't quite understand the whole complexities of, of politics, but 30,000 out of 90,000 is pretty good considering I know that Georgie Purcell, AJP, got in on 1,000 votes. So that was a, a pre- preference yeah. side of things. So if you were down that way, you probably would have had a better chance. But uh, I've been tweeting at her actually about her anti-duck hunting stuff. This really makes my blood boil because I love nothing more than uh, my dad cooking up a um, free-range duck at the end of the day, a red duck curry, and then I see her saying things like, you know, the murder of ducks and this is free-range food. This is my cult. You're attacking, you know, we talk about culture wars. This is an attack on my culture and that might sound emotional and, you know, but that's the language that the left are using. So, okay, I'll have that conversation with you. This is my culture. You're taking this away from me. You're saying that generations of this, this is, we did this in Italy too and you get to stand up in parliament and say what I'm doing is wrong when I'm not hurting anybody else. I'm having dinner with my family. I didn't go to Coles to buy this food. Give it back to them. I wonder what would happen if... An example of that rocking up with like the ducks and laying them out. If hunters rocked up with like bags of rice or veggies and put them down and said, well, you know, and then a list of all the animals that were killed to, you know, protect the crop. Because that's something I feel that it's, in my opinion, and I think this is where it gets lost on a lot of people, is they view it as there's the primary death. But a secondary death is they're detached from it. They're one back from it. Because I'm eating a lettuce or whatever the hell they're eating. It doesn't matter what we use. If I'm eating that, I've had, I haven't partaken in murder and I haven't witnessed or I don't, I can sort of turn a blind eye. Whereas if you're shooting something to eat, you're partaking in it. Or if you're eating the animal, you're partaking in it. So it's, I, I sort of categorize it as the primary death. And then there, in my opinion, is the secondary deaths. Where do, do they know? Like I, I'm dying. We're going to get. We will get an AJP member on at some stage. I've already got one that said yes. Um, at some stage, we'll get one on and we'll talk to them because that's one of the big ones I want to know. Is there's death in everything? Now it might not be primary death, but it's secondary death if you want to categorise it like that. But again, we come back to that telling everybody about it. Do people know about this? Oh, I've got people in my life that I have literally told me that they think meat comes from the supermarket in a black plastic. They did not know that ribs were the ribs from an animal. And I've talked about that on a podcast before. 
that scares the crap out of me. Now, I know that's because I live in Sydney and that's I know that there's a lot of city people that have zero idea how the world works outside of the little city bubble and the, the nice little cafe and walking to work. So I really respect some of the things that you're doing and, and hearing about everything tonight. Before we start to wrap up, I really want to know what is your favourite style of shooting, favourite firearm, what is it that, you know, you've had a bad day or a busy week like probably this week. How are you going to, you know, what is it that's going to go and unwind? Is it a pistol? Is it going to be a long arm? What is it? Well, I'm a pistol shooter. I was actually on the cover of Australian and New Zealand handgun magazine a few years ago now with my little 22 Browning Buck Mark, which is also what I used in my campaign posters. So funny story about that. I've uh, had a South Australian licence firearms license and I moved over here and I've had that five-year license for five years and I went to get my Western Australian license and they do not recognize interstate licenses so they are currently making me go through the training for H license from scratch I have had so many arguments with Waypole maybe it's maybe they've flagged me I don't know maybe I've annoyed the police (laughs) minister too much so I'm currently going through the process of applying for my H license again even though I've got medals for winning club shoots Um, so I just love going to the pistol range I shoot at uh, Lone Rangers in Belmont here in Western Australia I'm going in Thursday night actually Um, and yeah I just love pistol shooting um, that's what, yeah, I don't know. I just, you know, the Lara Croft growing up seeing that and um, Underworld as well with Kate Beckinsale. You know, I was like, I want to shoot like them. So that's what uh, gets me excited. I do love going out and hunting trips with my dad every time I go home to South Australia, Flinders Ranges, um, lots of goats. So I go up there, pretty rough ter- terrain, but uh, love getting out there. And uh, take your point, Matt. Not all of the t- we don't see things all of the time, but ninety nine percent of the hunt is getting out in nature. And to me, that the connection with the land, and I love this country so much. So, so the hunting is just one part of the bigger picture. So that's what I tell people when they get a bit disheartened about their experience. It's just enjoying being out of the city and in the bush and with your friends or family, and and live in the moment because. You know, it's a 24-7 world where we're always on our phones in the media. It's just getting out and disconnecting. That's something that I'm really, really gets me. I need to get out of the city. I know I'm overdue for a trip. On the pistol side of things, you have you come across Dan Ripacali over at our side? Yes, I have. Um, so when I was working for SSSA National, we had a few uh, parliamentary Friends of Shooting events in Canberra. So I met him there and I saw he got elected uh, I don't like the fact that he's a commie in the Labor Party, but I love that he's pro-gun, so I'll let him go. <laughs> You'll let him pass. We had him on the podcast just a couple of weeks ago. and He's a good bloke. It, it, we had a great chat. He was a great bloke, loves a burger. But uh, we spoke about the parliamentary friends of shooting and I put forward, I put my hand up and said, let's organise a hunt. And so they've done uh, range stuff with him, pistol stuff, I think it was, and they've got a cooking one coming up towards the end of the year, game meat specifically. And, yeah, I put my hand up and said, let's let's organise a, a hunting trip. And he was obviously open to that. And he did say, I think it was off air actually, but he said there was someone from WA that would come across for it. I'm not sure who that was, but you've got some, might have some friends over there, but it's, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're willing to come across to the East Coast and uh, organize a, 
a flight over. I know it's would love to. Well, I'm actually coming over to Sydney in July for Friedman Conference, which is a big liberty conference that I'm speaking at. I'll actually be talking about what's happened here with a gun law. That's the topic of my conversation. I'm trying to get Marge Turay, who's the founder of Black Guns Matter in America. Uh, he's a Philadelphian guy. And he's just educating, um, like, gun control is racist. And we've actually had racist laws in Australia that Indigenous were not allowed to own firearms. That was actually some of the laws on the books here. During World War II, they also made it illegal for certain races to own firearms. That, to me, is outrageous. We shouldn't be banning people from owning any item based on race, but that's the history that we've had in this country. That's why I don't want to see any more infringements on our freedoms because we've had a, a bad history with that. Um, sorry, I'm getting political again, Dodd. <laughs> <laughs> no, you keep, you, you're a good politician. You're, every question turns uh, back into I'm that. Not, <laughs> I'm not a politician. I've never been elected. I don't know if I'll run again, but I'll keep saying what I you, think. You've just, so. <laughs> yeah, you've spent enough time around them. You've learned how to talk yeah. talk to them. But uh, if, you're, if you do have some time in Sydney, I'd love to catch up at some point if you've got Got some yes. spare time and Would love to. happy to go out for a walk in the bush and take some firearms with us. So the offer's there. Yes, please. Thank you. All right. Kate, we know how busy you are, especially in the last 48 hours. So we definitely appreciate you giving up your valuable time to come on the podcast and talk about it tonight. It is something I'm very passionate about it, that we need to make sure that people understand that we we can't take things for granted. And, you know, I'm, uh, I'm very vocal on that and probably don't get anywhere near enough traction as someone like yourself, but hey, we've all got to do our part. So keep doing great work over there in WA and we, uh, we think you're doing an amazing job and keep it up. Thanks for coming on and listeners, bye for now. See you guys. Thanks for being here, Kate. Thank you. Thank you. If you have a question for the team, shoot us an email. Our email address is theendlesspursuitpodcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, jump on our social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us by using the at Hunting Journeys and Instagram. Find us on endless underscore pursuit underscore podcast. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.